right, guys, if you saw my post, I, I, I didn't do this just to kind of make a, a clickbait statement. But when I said that this particular study surprised me, it actually kind of shocked me because it it completely upsets some of the current language and trends that you hear about when people discuss placebo effect. So uh, l- let me know if these ring a bell because they are all things that you hear thrown around. And it's that placebo, just the fact that somebody is not even getting a pharmacological agent or they're not getting a certain treatment can have up to 40% of the resulting effect. Uh, you know, meaning that 40% of the people, you know, may actually be getting the placebo and yet they, they report like, wow, I feel that it's working. Uh, so there's, there's just a lot to that. And there have been some science oriented podcasts recently that have really picked up some extreme stories of people who knew they were getting placebo and yet they like, I know this is not real, but I swear to God, like it's working. And as soon as you go, even though I know I'm getting sugar pills, like as soon as I go off it, you know, I start getting those symptoms back. And so that could just be weird coincidence back and forth. They've even done studies where they do pretend surgery on people. So they will literally like cut somebody's knee, st- stitch it back together and and they think, you know, that patient thinks they had surgery because with this MRI, here's this torn meniscus. They think they had surgery and the same amount of people report relief of symptoms and improvement than the people who had the actual surgery. So there, there is so much of that stuff flying around that it almost has made clinicians feel like, well, maybe we shouldn't treat people as often. Maybe our first line of treatment should be just lying to them telling them we're doing this. And maybe a lot of people don't need that much intervention. So along comes this study, and it is a a few years old, uh, 2014, where they wanted to differentiate a couple things because the researchers said, as we dig into this as, as a literature review, it seems like almost every single study on placebo effect has to do with pain. And they wanted to see if it carried over into more mechanistic uh, issues, like could it help you lose weight? If you have have asthma, could it help you breathe better? You know, are there are there physiological processes that could be improved also by this placebo effect? So uh, the the one thing I'll, I'll get into a little bit of a, a bias potential conflict, just something to be aware of uh, by where this study was done and so forth toward the end, but. In in mass, I think it was really really done well, and, and I'll I'll explain that as we go here. So this is in Portland, Oregon. They sent out a solicitation and just said, "Hey, we're going to do a weight loss study. Anybody who wants to to be involved in a weight loss study, you know, come on in." So as we've talked about in the past, uh, you you have to kind of think about that selection criteria. Who are you almost biasing for? These are probably motivated people, because if you're going to participate in a study, usually you're getting something of a value. Like I'm going to get like this is a free study. I'm gonna and I, I may get paid for it. That's often part of a, a study procedure. So they're they're pretty motivated. Not to say that that taints the the results at all, but these are people who really want this. And I say that because when we're talking about placebo. 
that's a big part of the psychological effect of placebo is the buy-in. Like, wow, like I'm, I'm going to do something. It's going to be great. I'm investing my time. I'm getting something. This is a good opportunity. Um, so 834 people responded, 243 actually came in for the full assessment because they required an in-person physical and 114 met the criteria. So it was still a decent size, 114, that, that that's not huge, but uh, part of that process that I lay out here, I just show because it, it tells me that the study was pretty serious. They're not just taking anybody in off the street. They wanted these people to be above 21 years old, no higher than 60. So age-related comorbidities were kind of pushed to the side. They specifically wanted them above 30 BMI and under 45. And above 30 means you're probably clinically obese. Uh, if you're all the way up to 40 or 45, you, you could be 100 pounds overweight. I mean, I mean that's, that's a pretty solid range. They wanted all of these people, and this is part of the inclusion criteria, to have metabolic syndrome. So blood pressure had to be high and or cholesterol high, blood sugar, things like that, but not to be in an active disease state treatment. So you can't be, you know, you can't have the diagnosis of congestive heart failure or chronic COPD or something like that. It's just, you're kind of on the edge. Metabolic syndrome means... A matter of fact, I will tell you the average person here, their their blood sugar was 105, their average cholesterol was 210. So, you know, these are people who were over those those lines in terms of metabolic syndrome. So, so I would say one of the things that they were trying to do is really pull people in that were definitely going to have some some issues there in terms of um, potential, you know, health. They, they they really had room to move. Sorry about this, guys. I'm screwing along here, the chat box. Um, so it, by the end of the study, 30 actually dropped. So they went from 114 to 30. The The actual age, the, the mean was 49. Um, they ended up with almost 90% female. I'm not sure that has any bearing on the outcome that we talked about here in a few minutes. Uh, but the average BMI was right there in the center, 37.5. Um, and if you wanted to see some of those things, I put, I put, you know, see the study. I didn't want to get too far into the weeds there, but this is what this looked like in an organizational chart, how they, um, uh, you know, had that many people who responded, how they enrolled, how many actually came on board and started the participation, which was 114. Now, this is where, uh, I wanted to show you and the next slide breaks down a little bit. They put all three, or I'm sorry, they put all the people randomized in one of three groups. One of the groups, they said, you are getting the drug. Like we're giving you a supplement and here's what it's going to do. I'll explain more, like I said, on the next slide. But one group, that was high buy-in. You are getting the supplement. No, no two ways about it. You're getting the supplement. Group two they said it's 50-50. You're not going to know. You may get it. You may not. So they were kind of up in the air. And then group three, they said, you're not getting it. Like you are the control group. We're not giving you even the placebo. You get no capsules, no pills, no supplements, no anything. I've not seen that done. Like that's a really good design. I think most of the time placebo is controlled for just by saying we have this group too. You may get it. You may not. You don't know. That has some validity, but they specifically wanted to know 
if there was going to be a change with people between them absolutely knowing they don't get it and thinking they absolutely are taking the supplement. So everybody got baseline visits and instructions. They came in. It was a 12-week study. They had weekly counselor phone calls where uh, some of it was assessing compliance. How are you doing? Uh, they, they were given diets to follow, diet information, I should say. They weren't, they weren't put on a specific diet. That would be counter to the, the goals of the study. But they were trained how to journal their food, how to count calories, how to be as objective as possible. They were given pedometers. That again, this was to to see, you know, as these people took this supplement that was supposed to help, they were going to see what their behavior and their outcomes really were. Okay, so here's here's the thing: the the supplement itself, they were told. It's going to reduce your cortisol. I think I have this on the next one. Oh, I, I just gave it away. Don't read that. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's all right. I, I probably just should, should have had that other slide out of place. Uh, two slides from now, you're going to see that I, I had put that they're, they're told this is a cortisol blocking supplement. It is going to reduce your hunger. It's going to give you more energy. And it's going to have direct metabolic effects. You're going to burn more body fat because you're taking this supplement. So again, group one, you're getting the supplement. You know you're getting a supplement. Here's the supplement. It's in a bottle. It says supplement. Like, And you're getting that. The other group, like you may or may not. These may be sugar pills. It may not. You're, you don't know. The other group, you don't even get it. You walk out without a bottle. But here's the thing. As all good social science experiments go they were tricking everybody. You go in and you're told this is what we are studying as a diversion. And guess what? Everybody got placebos. There was no active supplement. There was nothing at all that anybody took that would have any effect. Isn't that great? I just, I just love researchers. So the capsules for the people who were given, quote, the placebo, which they had 100% buy-in. Research group number one, here's the supplement. This is an active supplement. It's going to block cortisol. It's going to reduce hunger. It's going to reduce cravings. It's going to increase energy. It's going to directly help you burn more body fat. They were even told to take it you know, once a day, I'm sorry, three times a day before meals, which that's when those types of supplements are taken. Like if you have ever taken something like that, that's how they're directed because it's to interact directly with that food that you're then going to consume. So here's, here's where it gets interesting after this, this next little bit of uh, methodology. Uh, th th of course, they were, they were taking anthropometric measurements. They were doing body comp indexing. Uh, they were doing all those things. They were taking blood chem profiles, very, very, you know, good stuff there. But here's another thing. This is part of the trickery. They also said, besides all of that, we just want to do some basic psychometric testing. And they specifically, because this was the study within the study, they, they, they used the best four self-efficacy surveys you can get. Self-efficacy is a measurement of how confident you are in your ability to create change. So if, 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 I'm, if I'm taking one of these surveys 
it's going to assess, do I think, ah, you know, life just happens to me. No matter what happens, I get the short end of the stick. And no matter how hard I try, I can't succeed. That's low self-efficacy. If I'm like, no, everybody can do it. If you just work, it's a level playing field. I can do it. I can do it. If so-and-so can do it, I can do it. I'm going to win. I can do my best. You know, that's high self-efficacy. And I don't mean that to be, you know, a, a joke. It's like that you want the best self-efficacy. In my opinion, and I believe in most mental health therapists, the most self-efficacy you can have means that you really believe you can change your outcome. You can, excuse me, change, you know, everything about your life results because of your effort. So that's what they were really looking at to, to see if that colored the results. So now we're getting into the actual results, and this is where I really need you to pay attention to, so that you can see what's happening here. Um, the, the standard deviation for all groups, meaning like how different between like, you know, who lost weight, how much weight did they lose? Between all three groups, all subjects combined, there was only a 1.48 kilogram uh, difference to, to 2.46 of variance. So all of a sudden you should be thinking, okay, wait a second. Like there wasn't a lot of difference in mass. All three groups were pretty close if you're looking at a 12-week study. Now, the range, so the individuals, not the average, within those groups lost all the way up to uh, 9.2 kilograms. So that's almost 20 pounds. So somebody lost about 20 pounds. Somebody even gained weight. You know, you're on a diet, you're getting diet counseling, you're told to exercise, and you're getting this magic supplement. You know, some people even gained weight. But the average you know, one point, let's just say two, two kilograms lost. So now look down here, uh, these three groups. So, so group number one, which I don't know if you can see my cursor. These were the people who were told you got the supplement. Like you guys are on it. Here it is. You're, you, you got the, you got the lucky lottery pick here. You guys get the supplement. It's going to change your life. They lost an average of about 0.6 kilograms here. You get it to the next group, like 50-50, you don't know if you're getting it or not. You all get capsules, you all get supplements, but you don't know if you're getting it. They lost 0.6. You get to the average of all three, 0.9, pretty similar. It's like, wow, they didn't, they weren't really showing much impact here. Maybe the placebo didn't work. Look at the group that were told you're not getting anything. You get no capsules, you get no supplements, you're on your own. You just got to go gut it out. You got to work. Like this is a weight loss study. You're getting diet counseling every week. You're getting support. You're getting instructions. It's a gift to you. You're enrolled. You should participate, take advantage of it. They lost more than twice as much. Here's the thing. If placebo is in play, like people who get fake surgeries and they get fake drugs and so forth. And everything we hear about the placebo effect being it works, like everybody has some level of buy-in, there's some placebo effect, then you would have seen in the researchers, I don't know if they expected this or not, but they constructed it. So if the people who were 100% sure they were getting the supplement if there was any physiological reason, if their brains, just because of that psychological buy-in, really thought they were getting it, 
they would have reported, yeah, man, I really did have less hunger. Yeah, I had a little more energy. Like, yeah, this is great. I love this supplement. It's working. Even if there was just physiological change, as we know, the metabolic switch, metabolic positioning, uh, you know, blood sugar, um, you know, glucose disposal, fat adaptation, uh, lipolysis. As soon as you start getting fat adapted and you physiologically get further into calorie deficit, things actually get easier. And if you were taking a placebo, it would be pretty normal, pretty expected for you to say, yeah, it worked. Like my, my clients without supplements or drugs, you know, they say in week two, week three, it's getting easier. It's getting better. Week six, it's like, yeah, I feel better. And all those physiological processes could explain why it's getting easier, why it's getting better. These people even had, and I hope I'm not overstating this, but beating a dead horse, they had every reason to think that they were going to get those extra effects. And so if there was, quote, placebo effect, it would have been there. Why did the group who knew they got nothing, why did they overperform? Here's what's really interesting. Look at the look at what this looks like visually. The expectation group. So on the left is exercise efficacy. Like again, these surveys. How do you feel with your exercise? How do you feel? Is it getting easier? Is it better? Do you think this supplement, which you don't know is a placebo, you think you're getting the real thing? Is it helping? Um, when you ask questions in terms of efficacy, it's do you feel like you're getting better? Do you feel like you're getting stronger? Do you feel like you you have more control? The left chart is for exercise. The, the right is for diet. Do you feel like you're you're getting this? You know, we're, we're six weeks into the study. We're eight weeks or 12 weeks. You've been getting weekly counseling. Are, are you feeling smarter and more able to do this? Is your self-efficacy growing? Not, we're, not, we're not looking at results now. We're looking at how people reported their confidence and ability to continue on. The people who had the placebo, which they had a hundred percent expectation that this this supplement was going to work, their self-efficacy went down. The people who were 50-50, like I don't know if I'm getting anything or not. I don't know. But you know, the counseling's kind of working, I think, at least over here on the weight. You know, there, there, there's went up a little bit here. You know, on the exercise, they didn't feel like, yeah, maybe I'm not as good at this, you know, the, the supplement itself, this is a weight loss supplement. I wouldn't expect them to say, yes, this is helping my exercise self-efficacy. So just being a little bit flat there kind of makes sense. But look here, the people who were told you don't even get a chance at a placebo or the right supplement, we're not giving you any supplements. You're not getting any capsules to take during the day you knowingly are the control group. You get nothing but counseling. Look at them. Bam, straight up. Bam, straight up. So if we don't give people treatment, quote, something that is a, as I said in my post, a pill or a potion, just something that they think is causing it, then as they're getting results, they know those results are coming from their effort. So it makes sense that their confidence and their self-efficacy would go up. I've told people for 25 years, 
I don't like you to take supplements, especially right off the bat. Like don't start a nutrition plan with me and start taking all kinds of supplements and so forth, because then you're going to think any progress is because of those. And I want you to know it's because of your hard work. And I, I know it will be like no supplement is going to outperform what your behavior does. So that was huge. And that's, that's the big, big surprise. A, there was no physiological placebo effect. That's, that's a discussion point we're going to talk about. Pain studies, things like that, maybe, but a direct physiological, even the power of your mind as we talk about with placebo. Well, maybe we've just really tapped into the power of a brain hack and, and our physiology really did change just because of our brain. Some studies may show that. I, I wouldn't say they don't, but this one sure didn't. And what they did show was that you reduce people's self-efficacy if, if you give them the crutch of even a supplement for weight loss. This is specifically a weight loss study that may or may not work. So now here is the funniest thing I think I've ever seen. Let's look at adherence first, that first paragraph. No significant differences were detected between groups on adherence for the weight loss program, whether considering increase in steps taken or change in calories consumed per day, because that was part of the study. They were journaling their food and so forth. No group differences were found in adherence to the research protocol, including completion of the food diary or the, the records. So again, everybody just kind of went through, and this is good. Like we would want to see that th th this is actually a testament to the construction of the study that everybody, all groups just really followed instructions. They all had the equal amount of adherence and compliance. But again, if placebo was really having an impact, success begets success, maybe I would have felt like I was getting some extra advantage. So again, no even positive advantages were noted psychologically with self-efficacy, matter of fact, the opposite, right? The people who had the supplement, they thought they had an active supplement, their self-efficacy went down. But look what happens in terms of adverse effects. Although no participants received active treatment, headache, nausea, faster heart rates were listed as side effects in the, or, or you know, on the potential consent form as potential side effects, partially in order to make the placebo supplement appear credible as a medication. In subsequent reporting of adverse effects, headache was the most reported adverse effect. So you're not getting a supplement, right? You're getting rice powder. It's like eating, I don't know, half a teaspoon of rice. And yet 16 people said, oh man, this supplement gave me headaches. Like, wow, that stuff was awful. I got headaches. Other people said it caused them gastrointestinal problems. Other people said it caused nausea, faster heart rate, increased thirst, anxiety, acne, memory loss. Four cases were even reported to the, the university, uh, like, are the supplements causing me arm pain, mouth pain? I have a fungal infection. It's, it's this supplement. It's this study. And there was nothing there. So look, there, there are things we can say we might expect because like they listed, this may cause headaches. That was a lie. So guess what? If I get a headache, I'm going to say, well, it, it may be that. It could be that. I was told on this medical consent form that it may cause headaches. So I'm going to automatically put that. When we put things in people's heads, then there could be those links. That's when you get to get a stronger uh, effect. That's why just like those fake surgeries, if you literally put somebody under anesthesia, general anesthesia, 
and you cut them and you suture them back together, there's a hundred percent buy-in. Like I, they did surgery on my knee. There's the evidence. And so you could even report like, wow, my knee's really stiff and sore because of that surgery doc, even though they didn't cut anything but the skin. And you can go through those kinds of feelings because now you are truly creating that uh, psychological impact of possible positive or negative placebo effect. But again, what they want to do is really look at, you know, this in, in the specific context of weight loss. So here's, here's the last thing that I'll read to you, and it's part of their discussion point. And, and this was their summary because they did a lot of literature review stuff that I did not include here just to make this a little bit shorter and, and so that we could look right at the study. While some short-term studies in humans as well as animal studies have documented placebo effects, others have cast doubt on this supposed substantial role for placebo. In a retrospective review of clinical trials performed between 1948 and 1998, containing both placebo and no treatment arms, the placebo effect size was negligible in comparison to no treatment in most studies. So they're saying, look, we just did a literature review of the last 50 years, and even though it's kind of sensationalized in the media, like this huge placebo effect, like we're not even really finding it in a lot of studies. It's just, it's, it's really not that, that big. So this, in contrast to more recent mechanistic studies that demonstrated placebo effect on objective measures of brain function or other outcomes, among the nine conditions for which there were data, only pain studies showed a significant effect on placebo. And again, kind of like the headaches, like we're all going to feel some pain. We're all going to feel better some days. And if you think you can connect that to a behavior or a quote treatment, then we can connect those dots. And sometimes we're right, we're right sometimes we're wrong. Uh, but in 2004, updated the review that included the an additional three studies on obesity, a negative effect was found on desired weight loss. And so that's what got them scratching their head. Like, wait a second, we're actually seeing negative effects of placebo for weight loss. We're supposed to get all this positive uh, effect. What's going on? Um, so anyway, uh, however, there's been little study of placebo in the introduction of salutary behavior and, and which may be you know, influencing. And so that's why they were wanting to look at self-efficacy. That's so the whole study was centered around self-efficacy. That was the nugget in the center. And that's why they surrounded it with the trick of your nobody's actually getting an active supplement and so forth. And they even the fact that we are looking for like weight loss, like which one would cause weight, that was almost secondary. They really wanted to look at what's happening psychologically to self-efficacy. And they inadvertently at the same time proved that at least with this particular study structure and design, specifically for weight loss, which they had this uh, precedence here, it, it just did not. There were, there's no extra buy-in effect. So finally, um, there is such a thing, and this is where placebo comes from as, as a root cause, there is such a thing called psychological absorption capacity. So my ability to just believe stuff like the, the woo woo effect, like, if, you know, there are some people who will believe anything. Bigfoot exists. Of course, I believe that the Loch Ness monster exists. Yeah, I believe that aliens. Exist. Yeah, the aliens sure exist. I was abducted when I was 12. Like you can tell people something that we didn't land on the moon. Nope. I know that's a conspiracy. We didn't land on the moon. Like you can, some people believe anything. Other people will almost believe nothing like they're they're that high of skeptics so perhaps this placebo effect is not an aggregate like 40 percent but maybe some people will have massive placebo effects 
even and, and some of them even want placebo effects to be true. And then some people just don't. So it's very contextual. And then another thing, another layer of context is, as they thought, that like maybe things like pain, which is so transient, that has extra subjectivity, but not those biological processes. You know, your your cholesterol. I, I've heard people make the claims that if you just think you're getting a supplement or medication, that your blood sugar will come down or your cholesterol will come down. And they're saying, at least in this study, like, no, it didn't happen. It, it, no matter how much buy-in, they're just, it wasn't there. So the one thing I wanted to say about uh, the potential for bias on this study, done in Portland, even though there were several physicians here, uh, and a lot of those physicians had masters in public health, they constructed an incredibly good study. There were also naturopathic physicians. And so this, those are the people who love supplements, right? Those are the ones who want to say, hey, take this, and it's going to clean out your liver and take that and take this and take that. So on one hand, I want to say, eh, eh, that makes me a little, you know, they, they almost kind of want to prove that um, natural remedies and so forth, you know, work. But at the same time, it really was a well-designed study. I mean, this this is what I would call more of an actual social science study, not a mechanistic or epidemiology type study. Um, and then here's something that this is the final straw that breaks the camel's back for me in terms of it being a good study. Three months after the fact, there was a final follow up and the high expectancy group, the ones who were told you got the supplements. And by the way, at the end of the study, they did surveys everybody bought it. Everybody who had the supplement, they still thought they really had a supplement. Um, they still three months later had the least adherence and they reported the least self-efficacy. So there seems to be even a lasting effect. If you are given treatments, interventions, supplements, drugs, and you're saying that this is going to do it for you, you kind of stop working, so to speak, and you expect, well, it's going to work or it's not. If it doesn't, it's, you know, I can't do anything about it. That's low self-efficacy. I can't change it. The people who are just given counseling and et cetera, their self-efficacy and their adherence was actually better at the end. So that's, uh, that's the study. Let me uh, let me bring everybody back in, especially Kevin. Kevin, Dr. Kevin Brunacini is a professor of nursing practice. And uh, so he interfaces with, with all kinds of this effect with clients or with patients clinically, with research, with pharmacology. So I would love to hear, even if you want to spend a few minutes, Kevin, just, you know, your interpretation of placebo effect in general, like, you know, how it's interpreted in the, the clinical setting and how you think patients see it. And then anything you want to comment on with this study. We don't spend that much time on it. I feel when we in advanced farm that it's obviously exists. That's pretty much the gist of it is that there's placebo. Patients may believe this is placebo. So there's no evidence for a medication, especially if that's, if it's not FDA, then you, know, you got that camp. If it's, if it is FDA, then basically that is the rule of the, of the law. So you just kind of inherently believe it or support it, you know, pro and con there, but, you know, just to compartmentalize the simplicity of that. But when you got those that are supplements or 
off-label use, then it's a matter of, you know, there could be placebo, you know, the patients feel better. Um, the best response is you know, to each your own with lungs. It's not dangerous to each your own. Just, it's not panacea as long as they understand that fine. But clinically, most clinicians are, will just say that you're just stupid and stop it. Um, which is maybe true, but it's, it's not appropriate. Um, but, you know, from a practical standpoint, that's more or less see it as to each your own. Cause you know, me watching Simpsons every night is my therapy, you know, that I enjoy doing that. But for my wife, it's some, you know, we've, I'm surprised we're married for 13 years, but that being the case, cause she, she can get away with, or she would love to get away with not having to watch it. But you know, for me, that works for her. It doesn't. Is it to say it's not helpful for me, however, just because of that lack of evidence? It's me. It's to each your own, but trivial point. Well, I'm glad you said that clinically, like everybody knows placebo exists, but you're still giving people the treatment, the intervention. And if there's a little enhanced work or not, then, you know, hey, you know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Who cares? We still have to treat these people appropriately. Am I wrong or do you see, do you feel the same cultural push toward like, wow, placebo is a big impact. Let's study more placebo. We, we need like more. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of science podcasts lately. It seems to be like a topic a lot of people are picking up on and they're dredging up these kind of extreme stories. And a lot of them, the 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 bottom line is, hey, we need to actually use this to our advantage because we can, quote, trick people into using less risky interventions. You're, you're not seeing any of that? That's because you watch Simpsons all, instead of science. Definitely people. not. It, it's, a, it's an interesting shift, if you want to call it that. But it's, I mean, I, I get the point of not needing to unnecessarily treat when you don't have to, but Again, practically speaking, what's the evidence? What's the clinical circumstance of the patient? Because whether they need or whether they don't want a medication, that doesn't change the fact of if they have hypertension stage two, you need to be treating that regardless. You know, yes, you need to lifestyle modify, do modifications because that is always the baseline for fundamentals, but you still have a, a, a medical issue that needs treated appropriately. And if not, that's not the standard of care of which, and you have negligence potentially. So it's a, you know, when I look at that aspect, it's, you want to respect the patient's preferences. Yes. But where is that? You have to have that mutual, I hate to call it a compromise because someone's losing, but you have to have that mutual agreement of, you know, here's the pros and cons here. And that's all our role is it's, you know, here's what, here's what this is going to be. If you don't treat, here's what, if you do treat, but something needs to be done. To, to that point, what do you think clinically about what you see in self-efficacy here? That if like, like, let's say somebody's pre-diabetic, like, hey, you know, you really need to lose weight. You really need to exercise. Let's get on this. Go team versus, ah, hey, here's some metformin. Let's just take a drug. Do you think that that approach does reduce people's self-efficacy and then they just continue down a path at higher rates of of physical health loss? It's very interesting perspective. That's it's and that's what jumps out at me from this this uh, study example. And you know, this is just off the cuff, uh, my interpretation, you know, when looking at the behavioral aspect of things, 
Um, shit, I'm trying to. I'm trying. To, there's so many tangents. I want to keep it all. I might have to come back to that point of what I was going to make. That was kind of the biggest point. But in any event, I could see just giving a medication to just kind of be enabling. I used, with my in-laws, they don't give a shit about them, their health. They're from Indiana, so what do you expect? But they're um <laughs> they're probably driving down as we speak, but they 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 would just say, oh, I'm taking the medication for this reason. Like I'm I'm, I'm given the a job for this medicine. It's like, don't you want to even try doing anything else to be off of it potentially or not have to be on as much and therefore reduce the cost, et cetera, et cetera. There's just no interest. But I feel there is some enabling that, you know, and here's the the behavioral aspect that I was wanting to say is is are we shit, I lost it again. Well, um, let me let me, let me I want to I would say two things real quick. I give you two examples because Josh and I were talking about this off camera before we started. And that is like a, a physical modality, like, hey, if you stretch between sets, can that increase muscle strength and muscle growth or pose between sets in the gym and all that stuff? And I said, you know, there have actually been studies done. And for the mechanistic reasons that research or researchers, proponents of that say exists, it actually doesn't. But there could be other reasons. And if you feel those reasons are accurate and it makes you train harder, then you may actually get this is where placebo helps. When it causes you to do something above and beyond what you would normally do because you're buying into it, then you are accelerating an effect or you're just adding an effect that's not even there. You're literally getting benefit. But in this case, with what I would call kind of a medical intervention, we are giving you a supplement, i.e. a medication, and it's going to do this. This was a very clear study where it's like, okay, then I just don't have to do anything. I'm just taking my hands off the wheel and let the drug do the thing, and I don't have to. You're, you're actually uh, muted there. Thanks. Uh, and I actually wrote it down just in case, but that's How are you doing that? <laughs> that's what uh, I was wanting to get is there's a I me, mean, you know, just analyzing the the behavior, and this is obviously isolating just one portion of everything, but the accountability. You know, if I don't, if if I'm not taking something that seemingly is to be helping me or not, it's not my fault if it doesn't work because it's I was taking something that I should have been doing it. Otherwise, it's not my fault because I didn't have to. I didn't do anything. But if it's uh, ultimately up to the individual and whether they know it or not, but they they know it's upon themselves, hence higher self-efficacy, they are accountable. Therefore, and you would expect to see that with self-efficacy, higher levels of it. That's why I wanted to mention that. That's why I thought as they deduced that pain studies were just different than these biological process studies, that's where I think it really comes down to the psychology. Like the placebo effect is if I think there's value in me trying harder because I've been told that, then I'll, I'm going to probably do that. But my, my other little, what could be a trite example or maybe not quite parallel example is that I, I was scheduled for neck surgery six years ago. And my surgeon just decided at the last second, like, man, I just, I think we got some time. Let's just, let's wait a little bit. And so we were going to kind of go year to year, or if you need it, then we'll do it. But just let's, let's just kick the can down the road at least a few months. And so I immediately like, okay, well, I, I want to know how I'm really feeling. I don't want to just, 
like, I don't know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, am I going to, am I going to know I feel better, worse? What are the objective measurements? I mean, of course we're doing reflex testing and things like that. I can feel paresthesia or not. So I just started a medication chart. If I take a Tylenol or an Advil or a hydrocodone or a muscle relaxer or an Excedrin migraine, like I put it on a chart. So I can go back now five years and look at these trends and say, man, that was kind of a good month. That was a bad month. Maybe there were behavioral things like lifting or things like that. But I wanted there to be something objective and not just my report. But the one thing, knowing that we weren't going to have that final intervention of surgery, it made me be a little bit more consistent with doing cervical traction myself. It made me more careful about things I know, like, okay, if I know this exacerbates my pain and my symptoms, like I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this instead. So it did increase my self-efficacy. Like I knew I could control those things. And hence, I don't think I'm in any more pain now than I was six years ago. So I was able to delay that surgery, which hopefully gives me a better longer-term outcome. And I just think, however my surgeon proposed that to me or whatever those circumstances that increased self-efficacy instead of decreasing it. Whereas what if it was just like, yeah, whoever's got this problem, you need surgery. Let's go in there, slice and dice and you're done. Then I could come out and I would have been like, okay, now let's go race motocross and like take all these risks and all that. Cause it doesn't matter. Right. I got mm -hmm. the surgery. I'm quote fixed. Could have been like the worst outcome could have been the opposite. So I, I think that's where those behaviors are impacted a little bit more by placebo than biological, physiological processes. Really extremely interesting because, I mean, that's, and that's the power of it is just a, maybe a power of persuasion. And again, there's nothing wrong with it as long as there's expectation of, you know, there's a limitation both ways of, you know, jumping the gun on preventive surgery or, uh, or, being cautiously just aware and just waiting there's pros and cons there's limitations you have to, and it's just to have the expectation this is obviously the relationship with the patient but still it's the expectation we tell ourselves that's still just as important and it's just it's just very fascinating of mm -hmm. it can be a tool when i suppose handled in the con context appropriately i guess that's nothing new for us but yep. interesting well, let me, here's what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going to stop recording so everybody has this as most concise as possible, but I want to stay on for any Q&A that you guys want to go after.